Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Fort Findlay Fraternal Order of Police has launched a new local nonprofit foundation to serve the needs of officers and their families, as well as the community at large. We'll get details. Also this morning, to your health, respiratory diseases like COVID-19 and the seasonal flu can be even more serious when added to underlying conditions such as COPD. Yet many of those patients aren't communicating well enough with their doctors to manage potential flare-ups. And the Agribusiness Committee of the Findlay-Hancock County Chamber of Commerce holding their annual sausage sale and gearing up for this year's Farmer Share Breakfast. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, March 18th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for rainy and windy conditions today with a high of 44, cold and blustery tonight with a low 28. The National Weather Service has issued a wind advisory for today. The advisory includes Finley, Hancock County, and all of northwest Ohio. Forecasters say northeast winds of 20 to 30 miles an hour will gust up to 50 miles an hour at times. Tree limbs could be blown down and a few power outages may occur. People should secure outdoor objects and use extra caution when driving, especially if operating a high-profile vehicle. After hours of debate, lawmakers in the Ohio House introduced a resolution that would expel former House Speaker Larry Householder for his alleged involvement in the state's largest-ever bribery scandal. Federal investigators have charged Householder and his associates with accepting bribes to ensure House Bill 6, which would reap more than $1 billion in benefits for First Energy Corporation, passed and remained law. It would take 66 votes in the House to remove Householder. The House is made up of 64 Republicans and 35 Democrats. It's unclear when that vote could take place. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The principal at Cary High School has been named the Ohio Principal of the Year. Peter Cole tells WFIN he's very honored to receive the award, but it belongs to the school as a whole, not just him. I know it sounds cliched and maybe too humble, but it really does belong to all them. I just try to lead from within rather than lead from above and get in there and get my hands dirty with the rest of them. Mr. Cole actually graduated from Cary High School and then attended BGSU and the University of Findlay. Get more on our website. The big shake is underway at Bigelow Hill Intermediate. Principal Jennifer Tice on what skills the students work on in the handshake competition. Having a proper handshake, making eye contact, being able to have uh, conversations with adults that they don't know. She says the competition is being held over Zoom because of the pandemic, and the students are learning how to present themselves in that setting as well. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. You're looking for a reason to celebrate today? You know that there's always a reason to celebrate every day. It is Awkward Moments Day. (laughs) Today. (laughs) We all can relate to that. We've all had those awkward moments. It is Companies That Care Day. Forgive Mom and Dad Day. National Biodiesel Day, National Sloppy Joe Day. This would be a good Sloppy Joe kind of day. You know, it's cold, it's windy, it's blustery outside. There's, have some. That's a good comfort food on a day like today. National Sloppy Joe Day. Oranges and Lemons Day. And it is Absolutely Incredible Kid Day, which is 
set aside to celebrate children by encouraging adults to write them a letter or tell them how much they appreciate them and how incredible they are. It's a program that's uh, been going on for, oh golly, more than 20 years from uh, Campfire, Campfire USA. And uh, the reason is because every child needs to be encouraged, needs to be uplifted. Ultimately, the organization says this is an event. This is a little thing that you can do that could change a child's life. They ask all adults to participate by writing letters or notes or making a video or sharing a message on social media. It could be directed at your own child. It could be um, a niece or a nephew. It could be neighbor's kid. It could be you know, a kid in your neighborhood. Whatever you Whatever connection you have, that's not really important. The goal for the day is for every child in America to receive a letter or message of encouragement. So, absolutely incredible kid day today. So, if you think that life post-lockdown, post-coronavirus, is going to be nothing but sweet, smooth sailing... You might not want to get your hopes up too high. It's kind of interesting. A uh, letter uh, in the Liverpool Hope University newsletter, I guess, uh, by Dr. Laura Burke, a principal lecturer in psychology at the school, uh, says when restrictions are lifted, things won't necessarily all be uh, champagne and roses. She says that friendship groups are likely to have shifted dramatically. It's not like you can just pick up where you left off with all of your friends, she says. Uh, This could bring new tensions when groups meet up again for the first time post-pandemic. There is also the potential for family fights to be reignited, as well as the realization that returning to the workplace is quite a mundane experience. She says, if your life was not making you happy before the pandemic, the same complex troubles and concerns will be there once all of the adjustments to our lives go away after the pandemic is over. She says, the danger is in mentally building an imaginary post-pandemic false utopia. She says, whenever there is a crisis, there is usually a reassessment or reevaluation of values and beliefs We've all been forced into thinking about what really matters to us and we'll likely see big shifts in these values and beliefs across a number of areas. So I think what she's kind of implying here is that in the end, maybe our lives will be better, maybe more positive, that kind of thing. But there are going to be some growing pains in and getting there. It might be uh, a little uneasy in the transition, if you will. So it's kind of interesting. I, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess... Uh, it probably makes sense. So, just something to think about as we uh, come through the uh, waning days and weeks of the uh, pandemic as things slowly start to get back to normal. Um, Do you know somebody who is always happy, always positive, things like that? Uh, There is a term for that. It is called toxic positivity. And it is not, I repeat, it is not great for your mental health. John Paul Davies is a psychotherapist 
who says uh, ignoring tough emotions and acting happy all the time is going straight to those feelings that we naturally want more of. We, we want more joy and happiness in our lives. We want to bypass the emotions that are more difficult to sit with. But the reasons there is a toxicity, the reason there is a toxicity to it is that feelings are responses to the things that are happening are happening around us. So they need to be given space. And if somebody is happy all the time, they're most likely ignoring reality. Uh, psychologist Dr. Linda Shaw adds, uh, there is no such thing as good and bad feelings. All emotional states are valuable to our human experience. And ang- anger, anxiety, fear are all ways of keeping us safe and well. In other words, telling someone to look at the bright side when they're dealing with appropriate and understanding, uh, appropriate and understandable difficult feelings, that's harmful. So don't do that. Don't just tell people to look on the bright side. That's not really the best advice. Experts say if you are guilty of pushing positivity onto others, you should take the time to truly listen to them and understand what's going on. And if you are pushing positivity on yourself, you should try and honor all of your feelings and speak to a professional if you need some help dealing with your emotions. So anyway, just kind of, uh, again, we all know somebody who is always seems to be happy all the time, not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> so... Uh, little more, little less Elmo, and a little less, a uh, little less Elmo, and a little more Oscar the Grouch. Is <laughs> a is a good thing, as it turns out. A couple of other uh, interesting stories here off the uh, Newswire. Among the first things that you need to know this morning, uh, here is a here is a thing that we have all become more cognizant of in the past year or so during the pandemic. Those high speed hand dryers in public restrooms high speed they may be convenient but they are actually less hygienic than paper towels and these things have been sold as being the healthier option for public restrooms but they spread germs pretty impressively researchers found that using high speed air dryers to dry your hands actually left people with more contamination on their hands compared to using a paper towel to dry off, and the dryer also spread more germs onto one's clothing, which makes sense. If you've ever stood next to one of those dryers and you blow your hands dry, the water on your hands goes everywhere onto your clothes. Ultimately, this could transfer bacteria onto other surfaces. The leader of this study says it uh, was performed in a healthcare setting and that has important lessons for health institutions that still have High-speed air dryers and restrooms, but the results are also relevant for all kinds of public restrooms with high-foot traffic. So, man, I hate those two I, because they never seem to get your hands dry enough. I always, after I've used one of those uh, air dryers, I always end up wiping my hands on my jeans or something after because they just never quite dry enough, and uh, they're loud and. I've never liked them anyway, so I consider that good news, but anyway. And, uh, of course, conspiracy theories are, what are they, there are, if there was a buzzword for 2020, early 2021, the year of the conspiracy theories, basically everywhere around us. 
And even if you don't believe in them, they could be affecting you. This according to researchers at the University of Innsbruck in Austria. Uh, found that subjects in an experiment who previously watched a conspiracy video acted differently compared to a control group. The leader of the study says uh, their conclusion is that the conspiracy theory has an influence on how someone perceives the world and perceives other people, regardless of whether they themselves believe the conspiracy. It impacts how you view others and how you view the world around us. And I have to say, I probably agree with that. I don't know how many times I have read somebody spreading a conspiracy theory, like on social media, and I just leaves me shaking my head, saying, what is this world coming to? So it does. Even if you don't believe the conspiracy theory yourself, uh, it does impact how you think about others and about the world around you in general. Uh, they say that uh, you should be careful not to contribute to the spread of conspiracy theories in society but check your emotions whenever you encounter them i don't know i just thought that was kind of interesting something to think about there as we get your thursday morning started some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to start your day So our cover story this morning this week the fort finley fraternal order of police uh, announced that they have launched a new local nonprofit foundation to serve the needs of uh, officers and their families, retirees, widows, etc., as well as the community at large. Development Director Teresa White is uh, with us in the studio. And right before we went on the air, uh, Teresa, you said this one of the exciting parts of this, and uh, maybe a little nerve-wracking too, is the fact that you're kind of launching this uh, from scratch. You're not stepping into a role where this is a foundation or this is an organization that already exists, and you're taking the reins. You're kind of building it from the ground up here. We're really excited about that. It's uh, We're taking over where Shop with a Cop left off. Uh, we're so grateful for that organization for coming into our community and doing the fundraising for us for the last almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. But it's it's time to bring it home. It's time to bring it local to be able to take that those funds that we were spending on trademark fees or franchise fees. It's time to be able to spend those here in Finley and to better be able to report back to our donors. And it's all brand new. Everything is changing and everything's staying the same. So that was kind of the impetus for, because that was going to be one of my questions, why launch a, a, a local nonprofit for this purpose? And what was the impetus for it? The, the impetus for it was, let me tell you a quick story. In 2009, my very first shop with a cop was this adorable young lady who wanted nothing to do with police officers. I, I don't know if you've ever been to shop with a cop at, uh, at Meyer on that Saturday morning, that yeah. Sunday morning in the wintertime, but there, it's crawling with police officers. She wanted nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had experienced some trauma in her life, and she had been removed from her parents' care by Finley Police Department earlier that year, and she was, she was scared to death. She wanted yeah. nothing to do with these guys. Yeah. And we shopped with her for, it, it was the longest half hour ever. Uh, she wouldn't talk to us, hid behind the shopping cart the whole time. Um, would point or grunt every once in a while. She liked Dora the Explorer and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And we got all done. And, and my husband handed her grandma, who she was shopping with, handed grandma the bag of goodies that we had been shopping for and um, bent down to shake her hand. And she wouldn't have anything to do with him still. She, mm-hmm. she buried her face and 
Brian walked away. He was a little bit bummed out, but he barely made it three steps. And she came running after him. Officer Brian, thank you for my presence. Thank you for my Christmas. <laughs> Just wrapped her arms around his neck. And yeah. it was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. No one's ever heard that story because using an outside fundraising company, we've never been able to communicate that back to our donors. Those who support us every year. I mean, we have donors that have supported us for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. They've never heard that. Yeah, They don't know the impact that their dollars are having. And that has to change. Yeah. So uh, that is, I I guess, going to be one of the primary uh, events uh, that this nonprofit will uh, organize and run moving forward, but not the only one. Yes, we'll still be doing shopping in the wintertime. We will still be doing shopping at Christmas. Uh, It's Cops and Kids Go Shopping. Cops and Kids is our Mm rebrand. That is a trademark that the national FOP has purchased and secured for all local FOP lodges to use for youth purposes. Mm -hmm. So in December, we'll be doing Cops and Kids Go Shopping. It is for families who may need a little extra help at Christmas or for those that could benefit from an added positive relationship with law enforcement. Well, it's interesting, you know, in the story that you were relating, uh, certainly it is understanding, uh, understandable that that young young girl, given her mm-hmm. interaction with police, and, and we've talked about it, I think we've talked about it with your husband on this program uh, before, that uh, most interactions that the public has with police officers are not uh, in the, the best of, of circumstances. Uh, you know, we see cops... A lot of times on our worst days, and so uh, you know there is uh, that that relationship building becomes very very important. Absolutely, this this program is just as much for the youth in the community as it is for our officers. Mm-hmm. Sadly, as a police wife, I'm more likely to lose my husband to his own hand than I am to a line of duty death. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to things like this, we can no longer do one shopping event one time a year and think it's making a difference for anybody. It's not making a difference for our kids. It's not making a difference for our officers. We need to be able to do more. And since we're breaking away from Shop with a Cop, we'll be able to do programming 12 months out of the year. What are some of your goals with respect to that? I mean, I'm sure that you're still in the process of fleshing out what those programs will look like, but what is your your ultimate goal with that? Our ultimate goal right now, we have five programs that we are working on developing. We have Cops and Kids Go Shopping, which Mm -hmm. will be our traditional shopping event every Christmas. Right. Uh, We also are starting Cops and Kids Get Creative. While we're waiting our 501c3 application to be finalized by the government, which we all know could take forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> while we're waiting for that, Awakening Minds is graciously offered to be our fiscal sponsor. So uh, to thank them, we will be we will be hosting some painting events at the FOP Lodge, pairing children of all abilities with a lodge member to do paintings. So that's Cops and Kids Get Creative. We're also working on something with Painter's Pottery to do something there as well. Uh, we have Cops and Kids Get Involved, which is basically what our guys have always done, but we haven't really talked about. They do uh, the purse bingo for Finley Service League. In fact, they're all modeling purses this evening. We're very excited about that. <laughs> they do children's mentoring. I'm sure they're very excited, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. They've often used the word voluntold for that. <laughs> I'm sure. A lot of that going on. <laughs> but it gives them the opportunity to get yeah. out in the community. Right. Uh, they've done... Uh, um, Children's Mentoring Connection, Bowling, National Night Out, the Bikes, Books, and Badges, Bicycle Rodeo. Mm-hmm. So all of those things that they have always done. 
Uh, part of our mission statement for the foundation is to support our members as well. So we're doing Cops and Kids Go Back to School. In the next few years, we hope to be able to purchase school supplies for all of our member kids. We did have a great big back-to-school bash two years ago for them, but obviously Corona killed that in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one thing that's very, very special to our officers is that in the next five years, we hope to have a fully endowed scholarship in the name of Doug Akers, an officer that we lost in 2018. So this is going to take some time, obviously, to you know work up to that. But the uh, but the organization, the foundation, uh, has been launched now, and and you're starting this process now, right? I- Absolutely. Right now, the most important thing that I think anybody can understand is that their times have changed. So we are still fundraising, just like we did last year. We are still shopping, just like we did last year. However. We won't be doing it in the same fashion. There will be no nice gentleman who calls you on the phone and asks you nicely to write a check and tape it to your front door tomorrow morning. That's not going to happen. Uh, We hope to use our website, which is fortfinleyfop20.org. We're hoping to use our website to drive a lot of our donations and different marketing strategies, social media, things like that. So if folks want to learn more uh, about the about your mission, about uh, you know, what it is that you're doing and you plan to do in the future, uh, more information, you mentioned the website, uh, folks can donate uh, that way as well? Yes, yes. There's a Donate Now button on the website. There's also information on how to rent the lodge. The FOP lodge is available for the community to rent based on eligibility requirements and whatnot. So that is there. And for all FOP members, there is a members-only portal there. You can have access to all the old lodge business and lodge documents and whatnot. Again, uh, Development Director Teresa White with us to the uh, Fort Finley uh, Fraternal Order of Police, the FOP uh, Lodge Number 20, uh, launching a new local nonprofit uh, foundation, as we mentioned, to not only serve the community at large and kids in the community, but also uh, serving uh, police officers and their families uh, through uh, those increased interactions with the community uh, as well. And is this unusual, or how many... Uh, FOPs have this type of a foundation. Are you kind of breaking new ground here or following uh, a, a trend? It's new. It's new. We are not breaking new ground. There are other there are other FOPs that have done it. For example, the Finley Police Department did some training last week or the week before for critical incident stress management, mm-hmm. and that training was brought to them by the uh, Ohio FOP Foundation. Okay. So it's it's not new ground. All FOP lodges are five hundred one C eight which is a fraternal organization. Right. And they have certain tax privileges from the IRS, but not the full privileges that a C3 has as a full nonprofit organization. So instead of in the lodge completely reinventing the wheel, Mm -hmm. there's quite a few that have done the nonprofit subsidiary. In fact, I believe one of our Rotary Clubs just did the same thing here in Finley. Okay. Uh, Exciting times, and uh, I would imagine a little nerve-wracking at the same time, but... uh, from hearing you discuss uh, all of the uh, plans, uh, it really gives you an, an awful lot of options that maybe weren't there uh, before that will be beneficial to the community as a whole. So, uh, good stuff again. Uh, Development Director Teresa White with us. The uh, link up is uh, the link is up at our webpage. We want to check that out online. Teresa, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. To your health this morning, over the past year, it has been all about respiratory disease, given the 
COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, we talk about it during flu season as well. And both of those are complicated for individuals with underlying conditions such as COPD. But for those patients, there are extra hurdles to jump because a recent survey finds that doctors and patients are not speaking candidly enough about managing COPD to begin with. With us this morning, our pulmonologist, Dr. Frank Trudeau, Vice President of U.S. Medical Affairs, Respiratory and Immunology at AstraZeneca, and Kristen Willard, Vice President of Public and Professional Education at the COPD Foundation. And Kristen, I want to start with you. Tell us a little bit more about this survey and what you found. Sure, absolutely. So um, the COPD Foundation spearheaded this survey really to learn more about how effectively doctors and their patients living with COPD are communicating because we know that uh, effective communication is really so key in helping to prevent the risk of flare-ups. So uh, what we did was we uh, put two surveys into the field. Uh, we are a patient advocacy organization. We then work with CHEST. Uh, and uh, were supported by AstraZeneca. What we found was that there are these eye-opening gaps in the way that patients and uh, their healthcare providers, specifically their doctors, perceive these flare-ups, um, what actions they take to address them, who thinks they start the conversation about flare-ups, and even more. So um, I'll give you just one example. Um, approximately 7 out of 10 of the people with COPD who responded to our survey, 7 out of 10 remembered that their doctors had said to them, you know, please report in when you have uh, any change in your symptoms. Don't wait. Call in. But only 2 out of 10 patients we surveyed actually did so when they first noticed the symptoms. Hmm. And this is just one of several gaps in communications that we found and were working to address. Dr. Trudeau, hard to have a discussion about controlling the added risk of coronavirus or even the seasonal flu if you don't have a good handle on the condition to begin with. Yes, absolutely. According to CDC, patients with COPD are at increased risk for um, poor outcomes from COVID-19. Um, and that's why uh, now more than ever, early and uh, continued communication is so important between patients with COPD and their healthcare team. Why do you think that this gap exists uh, in the first place? I mean, it's not like COPD is an unknown. Uh, you would think, and it obviously uh, we know it's a potentially very serious disease uh, as well. So why the gaps in the first place? Yeah, well, um, flare-ups are worsening of day-to-day -day, uh, typical COPD symptoms that need different treatments, and they can also lead to hospitalization. What's important to know about flare-ups is that they can result in the loss of lung function, and, they, and having a flare-up increases your risk of a future one. So it's really important that um, symptoms of COPD flare-ups are communicated uh, to the healthcare team. Now, why they're underreported, they this can be, happen for a variety of reasons. Patients and healthcare providers may not be effectively communicating about early changes in symptoms, which can indicate the onset of a flare-up. So effective communication is key. In addition, greater use of tools like action plans can help to more proactively identify these early symptoms and to help facilitate communication uh, between patients with COPD and the entire healthcare team. Kristen, a couple of examples there. Uh, talk a little bit more about improving uh, the commu this communication gap uh, between 
those patients and their healthcare teams. Kind of interesting, as you were mentioning, um, you know, in, in some cases, the doctors are saying, hey, call me if you have a flare up uh, and, and patients aren't. So what are some uh, other things that can help uh, improve that communication gap and drive home that point that it is so important? That's a really good question. I think I think one thing to do is to leverage the tools that are available to you. Um, if you use an action plan with your physician, you then are on the same page about what to do about particular symptoms whenever you see them. So I think that's, that's really a recommendation that we have in addition to having these sort of open, honest conversations, right, that open door policy, so to speak, and, and knowing that you're not bothering your doctor by reaching out or that you don't really have to judge what the symptoms are. Let your physician and the healthcare team do that for you. So that's what we really encourage people to do. Find the tools that work for you. Work with your physician or the healthcare team to implement them in a way that's going to work for you. You can start with the MyCOPD Action Plan, which really is a roadmap for helping you to um, address these even before they start, right? Um, and, and I hope people um, will download, we have a free copy of that, as well as the results of this study in more detail at our website at COPD Flareups, and that's plural, UPS, COPD Flareups. We will link up to that on our webpage uh, as well, because as we said, this is a bit of a wake-up call uh, for uh, patients and doctors when it comes to COPD uh, and uh, underlying uh, conditions that can be exacerbated, obviously, uh, by all of the other things that are in the news right now with the seasonal flu and and coronavirus Mm -hmm. and and so on. So definitely a wake-up call. Again, Dr. Frank Trudeau, uh, Vice President, U.S. Medical Affairs, Respiratory Immunology at AstraZeneca, and Kristen Willard, Vice President of Public and Professional Education at the COPD Foundation. Thank you both for taking the time. Mention once again uh, that uh, website where folks can get more information. Yes, yeah, so um, you can go to copdflareups.org uh, and also you can go to listentoyourlungs.com to learn more about COPD and flare up. That brings us to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. You remember just a bit ago, we were talking about how if you're thinking that after all of the coronavirus restrictions are lifted, if you think life is going to just go back to normal, you're going to pick up where you left off with your friends and amongst your social circle, you may be in for a surprise. This, uh... Psychology professor at Liverpool Hope University says uh, when the restrictions are lifted, uh, everything won't necessarily go right back to a normal uh, within your social circle. Friendship groups are likely to have shifted dramatically as uh, uh, we have reevaluated uh, everything in our lives and what is really important, and that could bring to uh, lead to new tensions. Uh, when uh, groups meet up for the first time in several months. And that uh, puts us in the mind of a conversation we had a couple of years ago about how human connections are the backbone of our civilization and always have been. Civilizations throughout history have been built on human connection. When we talk about networking with other people, you might think of your social media networks or your network of business contacts and the Uh, Those are just a couple of examples. Matthew O. Jackson has been researching these social and economic networks 
For more than 25 years, back in 2019, he wrote a book called The Human Network, How Your Social Position Determines Your Power, Beliefs, and Behaviors. Since then, of course, our human networks have been the center of everything from how we keep in touch with each other during a pandemic to how they influence people to resist a vaccine or think that they can overturn an election. So we thought we would revisit that conversation from March of 2019. It is today's Throwback Thursday. Obviously, this predates online networking. Talk about the basic concept of these human networks aside from that social media component. Sure. We're heavily dependent on our friends, our colleagues, our acquaintances, our family for all kinds of things from information to advice to help to loans to opportunities to mm-hmm. get jobs. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're embedded in a, a, a social structure and these people around us are, are really important in determining how we behave. And how has social media kind of changed the paradigm of not just how we network, who we network with, but then what we get out of it, both consciously and subconsciously? Two things. One is, I think people are a lot more aware of social networks now that they see them. You know, the, you know, Facebook makes it very plain that you're in a network and LinkedIn does as well and, you know, suggests new connections to you. And, and the, the, the wonderful part about it is it allows us to connect on a level that we've never seen before and to maintain connections and to instantly be in touch with people at a great distance and to keep up on what other people are doing. At the same time, it's also partly driven by algorithms and, uh, and, and our own proclivities. We, we end up connecting with people who look very similar to ourselves and we end up hearing news we like. And, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of filtering going on as well. Today's networks uh, often are what drive the polarization in the first place. Yes. When you look at, at our networks, they're, they're incredibly segregated. Um, you know, we, we, there's a term called homophily, which refers to the fact that humans tend to associate with other people who are really similar to themselves. And, and when you look at that, it's really striking. Um, we, we did one study in, in high schools looking at close friendships and uh, take a high school that was rough, a little more than 50% white and a little under half black and then a little bit of Hispanic. And people were 15 times more likely to be close friends with somebody from their own race than somebody of another race. Mm. Uh, that, that means that these, you know, these people's networks are, are almost completely separate from each other. And, and that produces very different opinions and norms and beliefs across different groups. Kind of ironic that, uh, as you said, we now are able to kind of see this, see these networks through social media. It's staring us right to the face, and we are still, you know, hampered by that, that sort of uh, polarization. And you also hear a lot of people uh, asking these days, why can't we get along? Why can't we be more civilized? But often it turns out we are actually propagating the very thing that we claim to be so frustrated. With. Right, right, right. And it's difficult to reach out and to put yourself in new situations and to feel uncomfortable, you know, to, to go out and meet new groups of people. And, and uh, so it's, it's easier to, to hang out with people that you understand and, and can relate to and, 
that's sort of basic human nature. And at some level, it's comforting, but it means that we don't have as much access to information or to jobs and other kinds of things, depending on what our group is. Yeah. So we talk about our you know, living in our bubble. And again, we would think these days with so many opportunities to connect with so many different people. And yet here we are kind of still living in our bubble. And again, that speaks to the, the subtitle of the book where you uh, talk about how your social position determines your beliefs and behaviors or even your power within a group when I think if you asked most people, they would probably think it was the other way around. I think it's easy for us to overlook how important our structure is and to think how much we control our own destinies. And to a large extent, we're shaped by the people around us. You know, we can put ourselves in better situations or worse situations, but we're incredibly social animals and, and we're influenced by our peers. So ultimately, how do we learn then to kind of keep control of who we are and the way we think and what we believe rather than just allowing ourselves to kind of go with the flow of everyone else? One thing is to question sources and to, to look out. You know, as a group of people, we can be incredibly smart, but getting that information is really hard. So how do you get all that information? And, you know, so, so there's lots of people out there. And if I could get everybody's information and, and really process it, people would know a lot. It's, it's just difficult to reach out and to reach beyond our insulated yeah. social circles. From March of 2019, our Throwback Thursday with Matthew O. Jackson about how social networking in the digital age has changed the way humans are social and the way we network with others from his book, The Human Network, How Your Social Position Determines Your Power, Beliefs, and Behaviors. A lot there to think about. Had that conversation two years ago, still having that conversation today. Yeah, that wind advisory in effect through the day today saying gusts up to 50 miles an hour for real oh my goodness of course uh you remember just a couple of weeks ago we had all of that snow and a little bit of ice and some wind there too point being all of these late winter storms may have damaged the trees in your yard just as they're getting ready to reawaken and uh, sprout those leaves and get going again uh, for spring usda contributor gary crawford this morning explains how to evaluate any damage that uh, winter may have done to your trees and how to repair that damage. It is today's Everyday Agriculture Report. Many areas of the country have had multiple ice storms this winter, snowstorms, and lots of tornadoes across the south. And in my area, a lot of days with high winds. We've got power lines down. Many of those lines down because trees and tree limbs fell on them. It has been a tough time for trees, so as we finally get into spring, what should we do about possible tree damage in our yards? One obvious thing... First of all, we just need to stand back and look at the tree. Dennis Patton is Kansas State University Extension horticulturist. And what we're looking for initially would be what I would call hangers, or broken branches that are just barely hanging on. You know, a wind or something like that could easily knock those out of the tree and damage property or hurt you. So first of all, just assess the tree to make sure you don't have any of these potential falling branches. Also, you may have already had limbs come down over the winter. We did at our house. Patton says you don't want to just leave those places, you know, where the limbs snapped like they are. Those edges need to be recut. And if you don't do that, rotten decay is going to get in there and that rot will follow down into that stem over time and just increase the decay. 
You also may get a lot of what we call sucker growth coming out of those areas too that are going to be very weak wooded. So in the next wind, those are going to be more likely to be damaged. Some of this work, of course, you can do yourself if it's near the ground, but Patton says... If it involves you getting more than one or two steps off the ground on a ladder, you need to call a professional to do the job. There are accidents every year where would-be do-gooders are trying to get up there and reach that broken limb, and they end up falling, getting hurt. Of course, you got power lines to deal with, all those type of things. So here again, if it's more than a couple steps off the ground, hire a professional. Just keep in mind that insurance commercial, you know, where the homeowner's up there with a, with a chainsaw cutting that big limb and right on the car. <laughs> Hence the reason why it's always better to hire a professional. Yes. <laughs> uh, they assume some of the liability then if, if a, a dumb accident like that would happen. Now, hopefully the people you hire will know the basics of pruning these damaged limbs. For example... Always go back to the next lower branch, crotch angle, fork in the tree, junction, whatever term you want to call it. And then we make our clean cut there. Why there? That area there has the best ability in the tree to seal off, help heal that wound, and direct that growth to a positive location energy in the tree itself. Oh, and no need for paints, sealants, anything like that on those cuts. The tree knows what to do. Doing a good job on that damaged tree probably is going to help set that tree up for a longer life. And less damage in the future. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington. So, a reminder that uh, we do have some uh, yard and maintenance work for our uh, trees and such as we come into the spring season. Today's Everyday Agriculture Report. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update and the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Uh, so some robberies, while they're all wrong, it's wrong to steal from someone. But some uh, are actually, you know, there is a logical reason. Uh, this is a case in point. The Limestone County Sheriff's Office in Alabama says deputies were called to a home uh, in the Owens community early Tuesday morning where a homeowner reported that one Joseph Douglas, man who turned out, he didn't know that was his name, a man turned out to be one Joseph Douglas, had broken into his vehicle uh, while naked stole some clothes out of the car, and then attempted to break into the home. <laughs> he didn't want to break into the home naked, because that would be rude. So he broke into the car first to get some clothes. Now, how he knew that there were clothes in the car to be had, I don't know, maybe he just saw them and thought, well, you know what, if I'm going to break into the home anyway, I may as well break into the car and get dressed. Because breaking into the home naked would be rude. Um... The whole thing was caught on security camera. When police caught up with Mr. Douglas, he was wearing the stolen clothing. So he was kind of caught red-handed, as it were. He has been charged with attempted burglary, among other things. <laughs> there was a certain logic to it, you understand. I mean, it's, it's always wrong to do that, but there was a certain logic to it. And no clothes. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news... Just because you can put your car on autopilot does not mean 
that you should stop paying attention. You would think that that would go without saying. We've had stories like this uh, before, but this one kind of takes the cake. It was uh, early yesterday morning. Michigan State Police say a Tesla on autopilot on Interstate 96 near Waverly Road struck one of the state police cars. (laughs) Oops. The car was parked with its emergency lights on while investigating a nearby uh, car deer crash when the Tesla struck the trooper's car. 22-year-old driver was cited for failure to move over and driving with a suspended license. So, was he really driving, though? I mean, the car was driving. That actually brings up a good point. You know, if the car can drive itself, uh, then if you have a suspended license, it, it would it be would it be legal to get behind the wheel of a car that can drive itself if you have a suspended license? That's probably why he had it on autopilot and he wasn't driving himself because his license was suspended. No one, fortunately, no one was injured in the crash. Tesla's website notes that the autopilot function in the car uh, does not make the vehicle autonomous and requires supervision. Preferably by a licensed driver. Yeah, that would... Elsewhere in today's broken news report, a Georgia man who quit his job back in November is uh, quite literally still counting the money from his last paycheck because instead of sending a paper check, his former employer, who apparently was unhappy that one of his employees was leaving the job, his former employer dumped 500 pounds of oil-covered pennies in his driveway. That, that, was, that was a parting shot from his former employer. Final paycheck was paid in the form of 500 pounds of oil-covered pennies. Andreas Flatten shared that he submitted his two-week notice in November at a, a local auto dealer, much to the owner's dismay. He stared at me for like a... Full minute. I remember so clearly he gets up, puts his hands on his head, walks out the door, and disappears for like an hour. Uh, Mr. Flatten said he left the job because of a toxic work environment and was told his last paycheck of about $915 would be delivered in January. When the check had not arrived in January, he checked in with his former employer, uh, who said, fine, I'll make sure that you get it right away. And sure enough... The oiled-covered coins showed up at his home. Uh, The uh, owner could not recall if he dumped the pennies. He said he didn't remember dumping the pennies, but he later stated it doesn't matter. He got paid, and that's all that matters. The uh, coins, currently being stored in Mr. Flatten's house, cannot be cashed in until they are clean. So he's got to clean all the oil off of them first (coughs) before he can take it to the bank and uh, deposit all of those pennies. Wow. Probably a good decision to leave that job. All things considered. And finally, in the broken news this morning, if you happen to know a guy uh, in the New York area who is selling sharks online, chances are he's no longer doing that. Um, Authorities were tipped off after learning a man was selling sharks online out of the state of New York. And authorities naturally were curious. Not the least of their questions, where in the world did he get them to begin with? The only water that runs through Dutchess County is the Hudson River, uh, which is not known for its sharks. When authorities searched the 
home of 40-year-old Joshua Seguin. They found an above-ground pool full of sandbar sharks all ready to be shipped off to parts unknown. It is illegal to own sharks in New York without a special permit. Authorities um, contacted the Department of Environmental Conservation. The sharks were seized and were assessed from biologists belonging to two different aquariums before transporting them to their new home at the New York Aquarium at Coney Island. Uh, Mr. Seguin admitted to authorities he transported the sharks himself to his home with the intent to sell them on the website monsterfishkeepers.com. <laughs> he has been charged with illegal trafficking of animals. Who does that? Who th- who wakes up one morning and says, you know what? I got a great business idea. I'm going to go into business selling sharks online. <laughs> to to my, at monsterfishkeepers.com. Who comes up with that idea? Oh, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. Brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Doug Jenkins is with us in the uh, studio. You may have, uh, may be a blast from the past, you've heard before. Um, he Hello, is now, everyone. He is now, of course, uh, with the uh, Findlay-Hancock County Chamber of Commerce, the Agribusiness Committee, uh, holding their annual sausage sale right now, right? That's right. It's going on right now. So, uh, tell us all of the uh, details on this. So, it's uh, an annual project that we do with the Agribusiness Committee to raise money for scholarships for uh, kids who are interested in going into agriculture-related fields uh, when they go into their post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what we do is we sell uh, three-pound bags of sausage for $10 in uh, typical uh, years we actually would bag the sausage ourselves as the the agribusiness committee members would take about three hours of the Friday before but mm-hmm. uh, due to COVID regulations and everything like that we haven't you been able to. You just didn't want it. You just didn't want to bag it. I That's haven't had thing. to do it yet because the, of because of COVID. You just didn't COVID. want to do it. You're using this as an excuse. I, I mean, you know, that's, that's, let's be honest here. Hey, you saying. know, people can draw their own conclusions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're three pound bags. Yes. Uh, seasoned and unseasoned. Seasoned is just salt and pepper. Unseasoned mm-hmm. is uh, is plain whole hog sausage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miller's uh, Meats is doing the the processing for us, so we're really happy about that. They're donating their time to to take care of that. So that's uh, a huge, huge help in getting this done. We sell probably about six hundred packages. Is what we have. Well, what we started with available. Not not quite. So that, that is much. literally a ton of sausage. I believe so. Yeah, that uh, is yeah. literally a ton of sausage that you can say. And uh, when is the uh, deadline for? folks place their orders end of the month so march 31st is when uh, we'll collect uh, all the orders now you can order online right now though if you go to the uh, chamber of commerce website which is finleyhancockchamber.com um in the agribusiness section there's uh, a link to the sausage sale or i'm sorry no that's not that's incorrect i'm taking you to the wrong spot go to the chamber website yeah just go to the store section it's right there in the drop down menu and you can order your your sausage there okay and uh, so you can order through the end of the month and when is the uh, pickup 
Uh, pickup will be April 10th out at uh, Legacy Farmers Cooperative. We'll okay. just do a drive-through like we did last year. That way you don't have to get out of your car. Uh, it's it's pretty as, as little contact as we can do. We do that, but you know, we're logging all the orders. So when you pull up, you give us your name. We've got your order right there. Unload it. We'll load it up and into you your are, trunk for you. On your way. Yeah. Uh, perfect for uh, freezing. I know that's what we did yeah. uh, last year. Bought uh, it's really a number good. of those. Really, really good yeah. uh, sausage. So uh, get those orders in. And again, as you mentioned, it benefits the uh, scholarship fund. Tell us a little bit more about the scholarship yeah so that's uh we're we're getting ready for the farmer share breakfast which mm-hmm. typically we would have already had this month right but, uh, we're trying to get to a point maybe where we can have more people in person to do it and do it in a more traditional fashion so that'll be june 10th uh, which i think is a thursday um and we do scholarship uh we, we do sponsorships for that that also go to the scholarship now mm-hmm. if you want to apply for the scholarship uh, you go on to the website and that's where I was trying to go with the first thing. You go to the agribusiness co- uh, committee section of that, and there's a link to it. It's, it's, it's an online application. You fill that out. Uh, you fill out a couple of uh, referrals and send that in, and those are due by the end of the month as well. Okay, and uh, that is, as you said, for any yeah. Hancock County student uh, going yeah. into an agriculture-related field. And we've talked about this in the past. There's so many different possibilities. Yeah, there. and that's just it. We In our last meeting, we talked about this. This is like, you know, you could if you study biosciences in college, College, sure. There's a chance you're going to end up in the agribusiness field, mm-hmm. so you you know you would be eligible to apply for for the uh, the the scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even diesel mechanics. You, know, you might be working on John Deere's or International Harvesters or anything sure. else that WKXA songs are about. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to get I had to get my uh, call back to, to to my days here, but um, um, you know, if you're working on those, that's an agribusiness related field, so mm-hmm. you would be if. Even if you're not going to a four-year school, if you're going and uh, you're going to go into your An trade, point. yeah, yeah this you could apply that scholarship school. to that as well. So uh, there's, and it's a five hundred to a thousand dollars scholarship. So uh, it's it's pretty good deal. Okay, uh, and again, deadline for the application for that is the end of the month. That's correct uh, as well. So certainly want to make sure that we highlight that. You mentioned the uh, farmer share breakfast. Yes, um, this is uh, a big event for those who have not uh, gone before and attended this before the idea when this started was uh that the cost of the breakfast was the farmer's share what the farmers yeah. got out of a typical breakfast you get eggs and sausage and yeah the, you know the whole thing and the cost was only the amount that came back to the farmers from that it was absurdly it's, low yeah and it's still cheap it's like five dollars for a ticket to, to all you can eat breakfast there yeah, or all a you huge can breakfast eat, all you can eat for five bucks yeah and that is more than what the farmer's share is <laughs> exactly got to the, this kind of drives home the point of just how little the farmer actually gets the end farmer actually yeah. gets uh, is that you can't do the breakfast, the farmer's share yeah, breakfast, we, or what the farmer gets had to, uh, on it. Um, adjust for inflation, yeah. I suppose. But it is a a big event yeah. to uh, honor, recognize the agriculture community uh, here locally. Yeah, absolutely. We partner with the uh, the OSU Extension Office uh, in town, and, and Ed Lentz, and they put together the Hall of Fame portion of the banquet where we right. honor uh, both past and present farmers and their contribution into agriculture. And, uh, you know, not just they had a big farm, but they had a passion for it. And they they helped out with 4-H and, right. and, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had a lot of people that have made huge contributions in that field. So it's a great way to uh, to honor them. I think the, the the extension office will be putting out for nominations for that pretty soon if they haven't already. And uh, it is one of those things that 
for those who are not involved in it in the day-to-day uh, agriculture industry uh, locally, it's pretty easy to take for granted. Yeah. That they're just here. You forget it's but the it's, largest industry in Hancock exactly, County. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so this is an opportunity to recognize that and uh, make sure that uh, you know we show our appreciation yeah. for all that uh, all that they do, literally feeding us uh, every single day. And some of the best people you're going to meet in town too. Like absolutely. if you ever talk to Gary Wilson or Dave Thomas at uh, nauseum. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know, I know you have, but anybody listening, if you ever get the chance just to talk yeah. to those guys and, and guys like them, yeah. I mean. I mean, you're gonna learn a ton, but they're just great people to be around. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, deeply embedded in the community yeah. and have been for generations. Oh, in yeah. case. generations and generations. So, uh, community would not be what Met it their is wives without, at the fair and all of that. Stuff. Without uh, without those individuals. So, the farmers share breakfast uh, tickets are those on sale? Those are not on sale yet. yet. Okay. Uh, we'll get. Uh, Closer to June 10th, so probably in May, those will go okay. on sale. Uh, but again, circle that on your calendar yeah. for uh, coming up in in June, as you yeah. said. Normally, and it would be fingers happening already. crossed. We'll be able to do it. Uh, yeah. Last year, we, it was like the last event that we had before they shut down all large gatherings yeah. and by a matter of hours it was it was <laughs> like remember, in the movie yeah. where the action hero slides under the gate as it's closing <laughs> that's exactly how that we pulled you... off the farmer's share last year yeah. uh so uh, again june 10th is the date on that yes okay we circle that on the calendar the sausage sale through the end of the month yep. folks can uh, place can their order order online or see an agribusiness committee member very good and the uh scholarship application deadline at the end of the month yep as well we've got the link up on our webpage for all of that information from the Agribusiness Committee of the Findlay-Hancock County Chamber of Commerce. Doug Jenkins, thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks for having me. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow as we finish up the week, Good Cop, Black Cop, in his new memoir, Former Faustoria Police Sergeant Clayton Moore recounts his complicated experience as that city's first African-American officer and how it relates to the larger discussion of racial justice and policing tomorrow morning. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you up back here tomorrow.